The Jet Set Breakfast on SAFM. Destination unknown. So our destination is an extraordinary one. This is a place between May and July where the sun doesn't set at all. And where is it? It's the Nordkap in Norway's Arctic Circle. And we have Kingsley Holgate, the explorer, finally getting to Nordkap, the North Cape in the Arctic Circle. Kingsley, what a pleasure to be chatting to you. Absolutely, Michelle, as always. And I uh, hope the signal is good enough. Uh, freezing cold here. Yeah. But uh, yes, lovely to hear your voice. So actually, where are you right now? <laughs> right, we're making our way south uh, from the Arctic Circle, having uh, achieved our goal of getting to the northernmost point that one can drive to in the north of Europe. Uh, so they refer to it as the top of the world. And I must say, it feels like that. Is I do have to ask, you, you say it feels like the top of the world. Is the air very thin there? <laughs> <laughs> well, not only is the air thin, but freezing cold. And uh, we, you know, on reaching uh, uh, North Cup, uh, it's, the conditions weren't good for us. There was a bit of an Arctic storm that came through, although it it is summer. Yeah. But freezing cold rain and sleet. And uh, then you'd only have a few minutes where the globe that marks the very north of Europe stands, and then it would be swathed in mist again. But, uh, Michelle, we made it, and we built a little Isibivan, you know, our, our, our South African is coming through. We built a little Isibivan of stones, which we topped with pebbles, having brought those pebbles all the way from Cape Agulhas, southernmost tip of Africa. So... I guess you could refer to the journey as uh, hot Cape, cold Cape. Yeah. But uh, it, we were we were overjoyed to make it there. These sort of basalt top uh, pebbles, you know, bigger stones topped with these more white coloured uh, and sort of amber coloured uh, pebbles from where the two oceans meet uh, down there at Cape Agulhas, which of course you're a lot closer to than we are right now. So, you know, Kingsley, uh, how many kilometers did you do? How long has it taken? And I suppose one has to say highlights and lowlights. Well, the journey, uh, because of all the humanitarian work, humanitarian work, you know, recording that we left during COVID times, um, and there was a lot to do to, to assist rural people, you know, especially in, in northern KwaZulu-Natal and all that um, that good work we were able to attach to the expedition. But we left nine months ago. So that's a lot of zigzagging across Africa. And I think we last spoke just north of Alexandria in Egypt. Yes, that's correct. Um, and and so nine months journey, uh, it'll be by the time we finish it, it'll be 30 countries and it'll exceed 30,000 kilometers. Uh, and when I say by the time we finish, yes, we've got to North Cup. That was the geographic challenge. Um, and it, it does feel like the top of the world, yeah, because the cliffs fall away into the Atlantic Ocean some 300 meters below. And you stand on the edge, and the wrong wind would certainly just blow you over the top, and you'd end up at the North Pole. But it is was just, a, you know, we were all just so enthused that we'd made it. Uh, it had been a little bit of a difficult journey, as you know, through Africa. Yeah. You know, through the through Sudans, there were some challenges, and Ethiopia was still civil war. And then, of course, the situation in Ukraine since we last spoke, um, you know, pulling the Belarus border in Poland, 
um, uh, I, I remember a bit of humor. We were stopped by some border guards yeah. because there is this, this sensitivity, you know, close to the border um, of Ukraine, Russia, Belarus, etc. And uh, these border guards, tough guys. Uh, um, <clears throat> what are we doing there? We, you know, we typically camped in the forest. Uh, and then they, you know, we started to chat, and we took out the scroll of peace and goodwill that had first been signed by the mayor in, in Cape Verde, and they became so enthused by the journey. And you would have loved this. They, they, they pulled off their their border police badges, which were velcroed onto their uniforms. They pulled off a few of those badges, and we had to glue them into the scroll of peace and goodwill. And they said, you know, this close, this close to what we see. Um, it's what the world needs the most. And the fact that you're sure. carrying a prelude to the South African Constitution, you're carrying peace and goodwill. And it, it was those sort of humanist touches that yeah. made this journey so worthwhile. Kingsley, so you, you have arrived, you've done it, all 35,000 kilometers. What now? Well, we've always had this uh, rather romantic notion that on getting to North Cup, yeah, and you know, also of course that that meant that included um, emptying water from the calabash that had been taken where the two oceans meet down at a gullah, so the traditional Zulu calabash, yep. the cairn of stones. Everybody huddled in the cold and the wind. We flew the South African flag, of course, together with the Norwegian flag, um, and you, we were up in the mountains there for three days waiting for the weather to clear. Um, so <laughs> everybody wet and bedraggled. But uh, so that's mission accomplished, and then we've got this romantic notion that we would end this journey at Cape at uh, at Anglesey in Wales, uh, at a little beach called Red Wharf Bay. Yeah. And because this journey has been so supported by Land Rover, we'd officially end the journey at Red Wharf Bay, where the first Land Rover was sketched in the sand by Sir Maurice Wilkes 75 years ago, where the whole concept started. And so we're going to go down there and go to his grave and there's going to be a bit of a gathering and lots of fun. And from an African perspective, um, what's what's so great is we've tracked down the first two Land Rovers, old Series 1s, I think they're 1955, something like that. They're the very first two Land Rovers to have crossed Africa from London to Cape Town and back again. Um, by young students from Cambridge and Oxford. So it's a bit of history attached <laughs> to that early adventures to Africa. And, um, and then we'll be home by the end of the year. We look forward to welcoming you back in South Africa. Kingsley, it's always great to follow your adventures and see what you're doing. Uh, Nordkarp, as you say, sounds freezing and cold. Were there any moments where it was literally a 24 our sun uh, and no clouds whatsoever. <laughs> well, I must say, Michelle, you'd see the humor of this as South Africans. Um, we've got roof tents that we sleep in every night, Alucab roof tents. They're great yeah. in that they've got some zip-up flaps that allow you to have a curtain of darkness whilst you're sleeping because it's light throughout the night. And as we made our way to North Cup, the astounding midnight suns yes. are just so incredibly beautiful. And you think to yourself, it can't go on. It can't keep on getting better. So, you know, there, there, were, nights, there were nights when we'd only try and sleep at, say, 2 a.m., just watching the light. Wow. And as, you know, as the sun behind the mountains, the lakes, 
it's just so beautiful. So um, we had the moments of we're surrounded by nature uh, and the beautiful thing about Norway, um, any open ground, uh, you are allowed to, to camp in by law. It's the sort of freedom that Norway enjoys. <sighs> and so you take a little four by four track and you end up on top of these mountains with these endless views, endless sun, endless color at night if it's not raining. And uh, and now, you know, we've left North Cape and we're edging south. And just on the west coast of Norway, these beautiful fjords and mountains and mountain passes and villages. And uh, I know it was explained to me this way. You might be in the most expensive country in the world, meaning Norway. But believe me, you get rewarded with the most beautiful vistas <laughs> and peace and security. And, um, and it, it is, is a joy, but... For us South Africans, of course, the price of fuel, everything. So, you know, we buy from the local spa. Can you believe it? There's spa shops here. We buy from the local spa and uh, we live cheaply by simply camping wild. And that's the way that we can sort of somehow manage it. It sounds absolutely amazing. Kingsley Holgate, of course, explorer, going from the hot Cape to the cold Cape, nine months and 35,000 kilometers. They started out at Cape Agalis and ended up at Nordkap in Norway's Arctic Circle. What a wonderfully interesting journey, and it's been great to follow it with Kingsley as well. So... It's time for Petrolhead. And, uh, All things automotive with the Petrolhead, Nico Smith. Nico, you're on the couch. You've had the coffee, I'm assuming. And how are you? Good morning, Michelle. I'm very good. And how are you? I'm brilliant. Nico, I want to know, you know, when you hear a story like the Kingsley Holgate story, does it make you want to get into some kind of sort of big car and just like, you know, or, or Land Rover or whatever the case may be and just travel up north and see how far you could go? Hey, that really excites me, Michelle. If I, if I, if I just listen to the conversation, it's wow. How amazing is that to, to drive that far, um, to be able to, to experience other countries and, and things, you know, uh, sun never setting and, and um, different climates. It really excites me. Um, yeah, so I, I wish I could do that. That would be um, something that I'd really, really enjoy. If you were going to do it, what kind of car would you do it with? Oh, you know what? There are so many options that, that you could do it with. Um, but, um, um, you know, talking about the Defender and things they all get having, the or Land Rovers, you know, I, I would say, as you know, I quite like the new Defender. So yeah. um, that would be a car that I would quite consider doing it in. Um, but you have so many options. Um, I guess also, if you, it depends on how far you go, because if you're going through Africa, um, the conditions are going to be different when you get into the snow and ice. So if it's really thick or deep snow and ice, then the tires that you have are something you need to consider because they need traction in the snow. And uh, in Europe, you have winter and summer tires because when it's really cold, your summer tires don't work. So you actually have special winter tires. Yeah. But the winter tires will be destroyed when you drive on tar in summer. So you actually... A, a, a lot of people in the cold countries have two sets of tires and they swap the winter and summer tires um, over. Um, you can even drive on sh- snow chains. So certain places they have snow chains. So, um, but, and you need the air suspension, I guess, to lift the car up. Um, if you need to go, you know, the roads are quite bad. I'm sure in Norway the roads are great. So, yeah, it's, there's many options and it's something I would really, really enjoy to do. So... But you need... You need time. <laughs> you need time. Yeah, nine months, apparently. Yeah, you need time. <laughs> and, and the sponsorships, if somebody can pay your salary, 
so you can uh, still pay off your house at home while you're away. (laughs) So, Nico, what are you showing us and talking to us about today? You know, it's another day and uh, another electric car. But electric cars are now moving and and they're becoming more cost-effective in South Africa. And I say that now, um, we're talking about the Volvo XC40. And you can start with the price. It's still just over a million, a million and 75,000 rand, which is still a lot of money. But already, you know, this is now um, we're touching on the entry-level side of electric cars. So electric cars are becoming more affordable. I know for, for most South Africans and most of us, a million rand is still a lot of money. But it shows the downward trend, Michelle, where um, the cars are coming, uh, are becoming more affordable. And the prices will go down. So they will go down and down and down. I'm not sure yet if we'll see a 400,000 rand electric car. But in reality, because the manufacturers are pushing so much, um, you have to start thinking in that way. I don't think petrol and diesel will disappear entirely very soon. Yeah. But um, the manufacturers are moving that well. I'll give you another way of looking at this. My, I was talking to my cousin yesterday, and they are um, rebuilding their house. So they bought a house, and they've broken down and, and changed, made a lot of changes um, to the house. And one of the things of, is the garage. And I said to him yesterday, you know what? You should actually consider just putting in a, uh, the right wiring for, 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 for an electric car. Because right now, we're not thinking of that. But if you look at the way um, we built houses a few years ago, we weren't considering the internet or Wi-Fi in your house. So um, it's not a bad idea um, to just put in the right wiring. And then if you, let's say, even if it's in 10 years' time, you're not considering an electric car, the wiring is in place because you're remodeling. So it is a way to start considering if you're building a house now. It would be a mistake not to consider putting in the wiring for an electric car, even if you're not ready, because things change quite quickly. So, okay, you have a car that you're looking at at the moment. Talk to us about it. Yes, so the, the, the Volvo XC40. Um, so I've driven the XC40, um, and I've actually really quite liked it. It's an entry-level SUV for Volvo, and they've now converted, which is effectively a, an ICE car, internal combustion engine car, into an electric car. So it has all the good looks and the styling of the XC40. Um, the major difference that you'll see the change is in the grill of the car. So normally when the when that uh, folks were... Uh, uh, Volvo grill, rather, is closed, in the, oh, open, in this case, that grill is closed. So you don't actually have an air intake. Because it's an electric car, it doesn't need air to cool down the engine. So um, beautiful styling in the front with beautiful um, daytime running lights on the Volvo, nice big bags. I think that always adds to the good look. Yeah. At the back, we have those horizontal lines. Um, it's actually a J design, if you see the rear um, tail light. Yeah. And then you have a, another, you know, you can have a nice, uh, color contrasting bodywork and then a black roof. I don't know. What do you think of the? the it looks. Cross? It looks very nice. It just looks like it's way out of my, my, <laughs> my budget. <laughs> it's it's way out of my budget too. But that's the thing with cars. Um, you know, we can always dream about that and, and build our dream garage. The so, what do you think is going to make this car any different to any other of the? Um, electric cars what do you think is about it that it makes it makes it something that you one know, should I, go okay I'm, I'm looking at it i had it for a few days but actually quite a few months ago they said to me listen they've got this car um do i want to drive it they haven't um uh, introduced it yet to the market so i'm not allowed to talk about it but i can drive it for a few days um so this is the ideal electric car in my mind or one of them because it's small in a city car because currently, uh, if you're looking at a city car, electric cars make a lot of sense. Because, mm. you know, I get the question a lot, you know, how many, where can you charge? But there's actually a million charging stations out there. 
because your charging happens at home. That's the convenience of electric car. You don't have to actually go somewhere. You charge at home. So did you charge it? Did you charge it at home when you were driving I, I did charge it, but mine, I, I didn't, I don't have a, a wall charger. So you actually have to install a wall charger to make sense because your three-point plug is not strong enough. But yeah. the, the changes to a wall charger is not that much. Um, and the, the, the range was more than enough in the few days that I had. I didn't actually have to recharge it. Yeah. So, um, but just as an everyday car, what makes it different is that um, it's seen as an integral uh, electric motor. So it only has one motor instead of a lot of the cars having two motors. So there's one motor. Um, um, and it has 300 kilowatts of power. That's a, um, that's a lot of power in a small little car. Nord 200 is 4.9 seconds. Yeah. And the range is around about 418 kilometers. So that's actually, for city driving, more than enough because if you're charging, if you're driving, I think South Africa's on average drive, drive about 30 kilometers a day. That means you can go quite far before you have to charge it. And you can charge it every day. And even if load shedding is four hours, and you run from six to six, you still have eight hours to charge. Yeah. So, um, you know, for, for city driving, electric cars are fabulous. And this is a car I really enjoyed. The, um, actually, it's not for 4.9. I'm actually lying now. That's the, the performance version. Let me just get my facts straight because that's the performance version um, of the XC40. Uh, you actually get a, um, in this case, it's called the XC40P6. And let me just get my figures right because I was, I was lying a little bit. So this, um, the figures here is 7. So it's 170 kilowatts and 330 newtons. Those are the correct figures. Yeah. And the Nord 200 is 7.4 seconds. Although it feels much quicker um, in that 7.4 kil- um, seconds. So um, the, the battery size is 96 kilowatt hours uh, or 69, well, 69 kilowatt hours. And that's sort of a medium range battery. And the range is 423 kilometers. So that's more than enough. And you can charge up to 11 kilowatts alternating current, which um, for most uh, chargers would actually be very quick to, to recharge the battery. So overall, Michelle, it's a car I really enjoyed. I think um, if you are considering electric cars, the budget is moving down. This is definitely a car you can go have a look at at Volvo. And uh, yeah, this is if you haven't driven them yet or experienced them yet, go drive the car because it does change your mind when you consider electric cars. Nico, um, if you had to buy a car like this, would they then uh, put the electric charger in your home? Yes, so Volvo would, would, would actually then come and sit. So as part of the package for buying the car, the, the charger is fitted in your garage. So you do, yeah. you do get the installation of the charger. And then all electric cars come with a three-point plug. So if you are going to your friend's house, so let's say I go visit you in Johannesburg, I'm a little bit worried about the range. I can just plug it into your garage. And even though the charge is slow, you can still get a charge. But the, the best way to charge it is at home. And then they'll consider if you have three-phase or single-phase. doesn't matter. If, if you don't even know what that is. They'll look at that and put the right charge in for that. So that will then determine how fast you can charge the car. Fantastic. It sounds like something we should be looking at in the future when we start earning more in this country again. It's quarter to nine. You are with SAFM. We're talking to our petrol head, Nico. And uh, you're welcome to SMS your questions, 41391. You can also WhatsApp your questions to our Nico, and you can do them either as print or as audio on 0614104107. Nico, we'll start with uh, this voice note uh, as a question for you now. Morning, Michelle. Uh, Nico, when people talk about electric cars, they talk, well, apart from the price, when it 
I mean, how long does it take for the battery to start deteriorate, for instance? And how much does it cost to replace the battery? Hmm. And the parts, for instance, the servicing. Are the parts available in South Africa? Get it, get it from wherever in the world. What is the cost? No one ever talks about that part of it. So, especially the battery. Thank you, Gareth and Gaetan. Brilliant question from Gareth, oh. actually. So when we talk about um, electric cars, how long, for example, does that battery last? That's a great question, um, a fabulous question. I think we need to separate your cell phone and an electric car because I think most of us, we want to look at a cell phone and say, you know what, after a year and a half or two years, this battery is terrible. Um, the the, um, the warranty um, that I've now seen on most electric car manufacturers of the battery is eight years and 160,000 kilometers. Let me say that again. Eight years and 160,000 kilometers, that's the warranty on the battery, which means that's the faith they have. So, um, And then, of course, there'd be a certain guarantee that let's say after that time, after that eight years, you'll still the batteries um, um, would still probably be work at at least, let's say, 80% of what it was when it was new. So any battery is going to deteriorate at a certain level or rate. Yeah. Um, but with, with such a big warranty, um, it, it really isn't a concern. I think if you're buying a car after eight years and 60,000 kilometers, then, you, you know, so after eight years, you definitely then have to look at the battery. And I'd have the battery tested and say, okay, let's test the battery. Let's see in what state it is. But a lot of these batteries as well, depending on the manufacturer, can be replaced in cells. So some manufacturers, the battery is one battery that you have to replace. Some of the manufacturers, it actually is made up of individual cells. And if a cell is a problem, they can just replace the cell. They don't actually have to replace the whole battery. So that also affects it. But I think the warranty number one is actually really good on electric cars. So if you're buying one now, that's a long time before you have to start worrying about the battery. If you look at the, the, the parts, that's also a fabulous question. You know, if you had this electric, you know, this electric track that you build and you had a little electric car, those cars really um, had any issues. You'd roll them off and they wouldn't have problems because they were not very complex little things. You had a little motor in there and that touched the tracks and that drove. Or, uh, so in, in, in what an electric car is, it's a mechanically a very simple thing. It's a battery and an electric motor or two electric motors. So the moving parts on that car is the electric motor. There's no clutch, there's no gearbox, there's no valves, no cam, um, no gears. So the moving parts are very few. There's not a lot of moving parts, which then means that mechanically not a lot can go wrong. Um, things can go wrong, but if there's less moving parts, there's less to go wrong. So normally electric cars have a two-year service interval, for instance, and not a one-year service interval, because after one year, there's very little to check and very little to worry about. It. You don't have to replace all the fluids, all the gearbox, you know, gearbox oil after a year. So um, because they're not complex things, what you really think about with an electric car in replacement eventually is probably the battery and less of the electric motors because they can just keep spinning and spinning forever. Look at a drill. How long does a drill last without a problem or a ceiling fan? They can give problems, and I'm not saying your car's driven by a ceiling fan, but electric motors will last for a long time as opposed to an engine with pistons and valves and cams and a, and a cam belt. You know, you don't have to do a cam belt service. So actually, yeah, there's less moving parts. And the parts will be available, but, uh, you know, you, if, the, if the motor's an issue, you're going to replace the motor and that's it. It might be expensive, but not likely to happen. But Volvo has, has got that as well. I'm, I'm, I'm sure no manufacturer would bring a car here and not have the parts to replace it or if there's an issue or the parts to 
effective with this issue. I mean, it does also talk to the idea that um, if you're going to have a car that has a battery that lasts eight years, by the end of eight years uh, with technology, anything could have changed and happened and been invented and been reimagined and recreated. I mean, things are moving technically so fast that uh, eight years is a lifetime. That's it. Um, If you think about um, um, the the acceleration of electric cars now, um, it's ramping up more and more and more. And, you know, petrol cars aren't going to disappear. We've got to realize that they're not going to be in 10 years' time. We'll still see them uh, probably in 20 years' time. There's probably, you know, might still be buses and buckies and tractors on farms. But it's moving towards electric because a lot of the car manufacturers are moving that way. So um, we need to get ready. But... um, Oh, let's jump into questions. I want to jump into something else, but actually, it might be questions. Go for it. Go just, and then we'll we'll go on to the questions from there. Okay. Um, have you heard of a company called? Uh, I'm not sure if it's Rivian or Rivian. It's probably Rivian and Lucid. No. Have you heard of Tesla? Of course, we've of course heard. Yes. So, yeah, so these companies, Rivian and <laughs> of course Lucid, we have. <laughs> are, of course, we have. I mean, if you think about electric, if you ask anybody anybody about an electric car. They'll make that association automatically with Tesla, even though they're not, not in South Africa. Yeah. But there's two other companies called Rivian and Lucid, which are also making electric cars. So an article I read recently is saying that um, what is happening is more and more cars are moving towards software as opposed to just the mechanical bit. So um, what, what happens is, is if the, the established car companies aren't also going to focus more on the software side of things, they might be left behind because we have these new companies that are, are really technology companies and software companies that are making electric cars. And just like Nokia at one stage had this often market, Apple came along and I don't know what Nokia did. And everybody had Nokias and now nobody has Nokia. Or very few have Nokia. What can happen as well with um, car companies, if they don't also consider the software side of things, it might be that in 10 years' time, these companies aren't selling cars anymore because nobody's buying the cars because people want the software side of things. So there's a big focus in the car world, not only towards the technology, but also to the software side and being able to update your car software and have a newer version or unlock some functions in the car uh, over the internet. You want to buy something today, you say, I want that, that option. Then the software just allows you to, it's already built into the car and today you want better headlights, you want to test them, you can rent them for a month and if you like them, you can buy them. That's the way cars are moving. So. Nico, we've got a question here with regards to tires, actually. And mm-hmm. the question is, how do you know when something is like a slow leak? Well, you're losing air. So, I mean, a slow leak, um, you should, you, when you watch a tire, sometimes they look a little bit flat. Mm. Um, and it's difficult to judge. But if they look flat, just go to the garage and have it checked. A slow leak, you'd lose pressure slowly. So, if you go to the filling station and let's say you're, tire pressure is 2.2 bar and if you check it a few days later and it's now 2.1 and a few days later it's 2 bar you you have a slow leak definitely yeah so um it might lose um and, and what you can do is most of the time you can actually see what is causing that slow leak i would say in my experience a lot of the time it's a nail or a screw in the tire so the way to see it is have somebody else help you um if you let's say it's your front right tire turn it all the way right and and then look at the tire and slowly move forward. And as the tire rotates, look at the tread. And as yeah. it goes, eventually you say, oh, there's a screw. So a slow leak tends to be something that's stuck in the tire, and that's how it's losing pressure. Um, on the sidewall, normally you won't have a slow leak. But if the sidewall's cut, again, you know, I, I say this a lot, but if you have any cut on the sidewall, 
please replace that tire. It's so unbelievably dangerous because the sidewall is very thin. That you have a blow- blowouts don't just happen. They happen when the, the sidewall is somehow damaged. Yeah. Um, and then um, it's quite thin. But you'll see a slow leak with probably something in the tree. So how would you know if you have a cut on your sidewall? You just have a look at the, uh, the tire. So if you look at the side of the tire, any kind of slash, any kind of cut or when the rubber is lifting up a little bit um, away or even a bubble. A bubble is really bad. If you see a little bubble on the sidewall, that is so unbelievably dangerous. You've yeah. got to replace the tire. Don't, um, don't wait. Uh, don't mess around with that because you might be driving on the highway at 120 and suddenly that thing bursts and, and that's a big accident uh, because yeah. you get a fright. People um, pull the car back into the road. So any bubble, any cut, it can happen on the inside as well and then you won't see it. But on the outside, those are really, really dangerous signs. So, so um, this is my question now, just in relation to this. If you did have a slow leak and it was like a tire or whatever, what are the, the, the what's that called again? A mushroom plug or something? Oh, yes, one hundred percent correct. Um, <laughs> a mushroom plug. <laughs> so yeah. you can you, you can plug the tire. Sometimes they plug it from the outside, which is terrible. It's not. It's going to really fall out again. A mushroom plug I've had in my car without an issue. So they take the tire off, they clean the inside. Um, you know, so normally as well, when you go to, if you think you have a, a slow leak, what they do is they have a, like a big little uh, water tank. A big little. A, a big little, I'm trying, yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> uh, they have a water tank where the tire fits in nicely, but it yeah. doesn't have to be a swimming pool. So what they do is they just put the tire into that um, uh, water thing and you see the bubble. So the bubble goes, tick, 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 tick. oh, there's a slow leak. So that's how they normally check it in a tire place is they dunk it in water and see where the little bubble escapes. Mm. Um, and then um, and then the mushroom plug is quite easy. But of course, if you have a run flat tire, they don't plug it. So any run flat tire will be replaced because you don't know how much damage has been done to the yeah. sidewall and how far you've driven. In theory, it can be done. You just plug it. But because they don't know the damage on the sidewall, they don't plug run flat, they'll replace it. Okay, Nico, um, Timber's asking... Um, is it correct that Sassol is the best diesel in South Africa, and why? Well, Sassol is the cleanest diesel, and then that would be that would. So, in other words, you look at um, parts per million sulfur, um, and the cleanest you can get at a lot of the filling stations is 50. Um, Sassol's got 10. I'm not sure who else has 10 as well, but what you're always looking for is 10 ppm, uh, and what you're getting is a cleaner diesel. There's less. Um, sulfur. It, um, before sulfur was there to lubricate the diesel engine, but the sulfur isn't clean. So if you have a high-performance diesel engine, what's going to happen is it, it, the injection presses can run a, um, a thousand, uh, let's say 2,000 bar. It can vary up or down. That means you press, uh, the diesel is going at 2,000 bar through a small little hole. And if, it, if the diesel is dirty, that can clog the injector. Yeah. So for overall performance and fuel consumption, the lower the PPM, the better. And because Sassel is 10 ppm, you know, it's like drinking cleaner water. You know, if you drink spring water, that's going to be much better than tap water in some places in some towns. Okay, so we should, like, maybe support Sassel for that one. Brahmara yeah. wants to know, why is the headlight of a motorbike always on the moment you start the bike, even in the day? Can't it only light in the, in the dark? I mean, I, I, my answer to that would be, that actually, because you're on a motorbike, which is already not as safe necessarily as a car, I mean, that you should just keep your headlight on because so that people can never, ever miss you. That's exactly that. Uh, I'm getting so good at uh, this. 
Yeah, you know what? I, I, as you're saying that, I, I think what we should do is we should alternate taking turns. With it. So I take a question, I answer it. You take a question and you answer. I take sure. one and you take one. Because sure. You're, you, I mean, you, you've got the mushroom <laughs> thing plugged. You've got that down. Uh, the visibility of the headlight. Um, uh, we should change roles one day. <laughs> so okay, so so is that correct? Would that be why? And is yeah. it true that that um, is Brahmara correct in saying? That the... It's visibility more than anything else. I mean, you, you don't need the headlight to see in the daytime. It's motorbikes. Um, they, they move faster than cars, um, and they're not always visible. So it's about yeah. being visible on the motorbike. So um, that's yeah. why it's there. Yeah. So, okay, that makes, a, that makes a lot of sense. And, um, Bramara, I hope it answers the, the question. I mean, you know, I just will say, Bramara, I actually I drive my car with lights on all day. I leave them. I leave the lights on because I just think, just in case, you know, whatever. Just it's not going to harm me. Uh, it doesn't harm anybody else. So no. I just do that. But a, a lot of the cars now, Michelle, have daytime running lights. So does your car actually? So Say you, that again. You leave your lights. Um, cars have what they really call daytime daytime running lights. So if you leave your lights in auto, um, and you actually just switch on admission, look to the front, you'll see that your lights are on. Actually, so a lot of cars now have daytime running lights. A lot of them have these. Beautiful designed lights. If you go back to that XC40 we spoke about earlier, um, it has uh, an LED light strip um, that's actually quite beautiful. So, and that's the daytime running light. So a lot of cars now on the road have daytime running lights. And all again about visibility because some colors do stand out more than others. So if okay. you have a yellow car, it's easy to miss. But if yeah. you have a grayer car, sometimes people miss it. Okay, quick, quick. We've got little time, but another question or, or comment? Good morning, good morning, Sister Michelle, it's Fred the truck driver. On the slow leak, if the the listener wants to detect where the slow leak is coming from, you just put water, you pour water around the tire, you will see some small bubbles coming out. Then you can put that thing that they put in and take it out. I don't know, you just mentioned the name now. Uh, okay, so there we go. You put yeah. it, and in fact, Zalma, who's our engineer, is saying just put a bit of water with soap as well. I was going to say, well done, she's sharp. I was going to say the same thing. A bit of soapy water is also going to bring that out. But to be honest, a lot of the time, you can see the thing in there. You see the screen, the thigh, if you just look at it. So that's the easiest way. But if you suspect it slowly, just go to a tire place. They'll normally, a lot of the time, they'll check it for free. Well, that's exactly what we're going to do. Rod is also saying it's a law that bikes have to have their light on at all time. Well, there you go. Thanks, Rod. We, that's, a, that's a valuable thing to say. I'm just suddenly thinking that between Freddie the truck driver, Zelma, you and myself, we could have like an entire kind of um, program just on cars. <laughs> we should consider adding a motor segment sometime somewhere. <laughs> yeah, like somewhere else. Hey? Like, yeah, let's just have... Should we have a motor segment, Nico? Just because. <laughs> I think we can. <laughs> a braai segment and a motor segment. Yes, and, and a chocolate cake segment. And a, that you are, okay, next week, Tiny Betty's chocolate cake recipe. Is that a deal? Okay, cool. <laughs> Nine o'clock. It's time for the news. Get ready for that Tiny Betty chocolate cake recipe next week because let me tell you, it rocks.